Good morning. It's good to see everybody. It's good to speak to you and also to those who are online. Um, I want to start out by just kind of letting you know a little something that took place in our lives uh, a few years ago. Uh, And by a few years, I mean quite a few years ago. Pam and I started dating 48 years ago. We just celebrated our 47th anniversary. But she came, thank you, (laughs) she came She came over to our house immediately after we started dating. Uh, We both had very serious intents. And and my mom and dad had just come back along with my family from Italy where they serve as missionaries. And and so I had arranged to have a place for them to live and everything. We were all living together uh, and and, uh, the, the family was. And Pam came over for supper. And something happened during that time that our family still laughs and talks about. We have rather animated discussions in my family, okay? We grew up in Italy, so we were used to this and that. And, and, and you really got into your discussions and into your, into your uh, conversations. And you could be real passionate about things. Pam, on the other hand, grew up in a family that was very quiet. They loved each other deeply, but they didn't sit around and argue or raise their voices in any way. Well, in our home, all six of us, my brother and two sisters and my mom and dad, we all started talking. And the volume started going from this point to this point to this point. And we were emphasizing and getting into the discussion and and plates were being moved toward the center and and, and everything. And we were just talking animatedly about this very topic. And I can't even remember what it was, but but we sat there and just talked and talked and talked. And, And then we were done and we all got up and we started cleaning up the table and t- helping mom with the dishes and everything like that. And Pam just sat there wide-eyed. And she said later on, she said, my thought was, what just happened here? She thought we were going to start punching each other or something like that or throwing things at each other. And, and we just got up and went on about life as normal. To her, disagreement, an animated discussion equaled conflict within her context. Now, folks, I I don't know how things are in your home, but I suspect that for you, disagreement or conflict is not something that you like. Some of us in this room, when faced with conflict situations, we just downright explode. And we leave shrapnel all over the place, including the hearts of people. Others just simply walk away. Still others get real quiet. Others get defensive and say hurtful things just to defend themselves to the other party. There are some here who may recall moments when conflict in your family took place and you remember every vivid detail and as you recall it, you find yourself, your expression changes, your, your eyes get hard, you, your voice gets tense and you remember in vivid detail everything that took place 
and you understand or you see or you communicate why that relationship, which was so close at one time, now seems to be irreparably broken. We're concluding our series today on find your people. We've looked at the need that we have for proximity, which was illustrated through the fire pit, of transparency, which was illustrated through the door, and how we need to keep that open and, and, and let people in, and accountability, which is the anvil uh, in our walk with Jesus, which, which sharpens us and helps us to be molded in more into his image. And those elements are found only as we develop key friendships based on a common faith in Jesus and a deep trust in one another. That's why we've emphasized small groups throughout this time. And over the past couple of weeks, you've had opportunity to see and to talk to the leaders of small groups as they've been out here in the entryway in the foyer. Uh, and, And that's such a core value here at Southwest. And if you still want, you've been thinking about it, or maybe you think, I need to be a part of a small group. Uh, I know Rocky's going to be out in the entryway there next to Guest Central and be available for you to answer any questions and hopefully connect you to a group that you can be a part of. I want you to understand just how important it is. But today, as we talk about this concept of being in connection with other people. We also want to emphasize the need that we have to be committed. And the visual we want to reinforce that reality with is a table. Because it's at a table that people eat together. It's at a table that barriers fall. It's at a table where conversations go deeper, don't they? And if needed, it's at a table where conflicts can be resolved and hurts can be healed. And when that happens, a new level of commitment is reached, a new level of connection is reached because we discover who it is that is willing to fight with us and for us and we with them. As I've thought about this passage and I've thought about this topic, there's a scripture that comes to mind that I've been drawn to over the past few weeks, and it's found in John chapter 13. It's the account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet prior to the Passover meal where he instituted the Lord's Supper, which we also know of as communion. And many of us may know this passage so well. We've heard it, we've read it, we've studied it. Maybe we've even taught it. But we can easily miss some things in the background that were taking place. Because Luke chapter 22, verse 24 tells us that during this time, during the time surrounding the Lord's Supper, a dispute also arose among them, that is the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's found also in Matthew chapter 20, where two of the disciples go and say, hey, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand and your left. 
And when, they found, when the other disciples found out that they had asked for that, they became indignant. Who are you to think that you're better than us? You know, that kind of thing. And competition raised its ugly head even after being with Jesus for three and a half years. Even after hearing him talk about the greatest among you will be your servant. Even after... They had, they had seen him model servanthood in everything that he did and he said. And conflict and the question of whether or not they were going to be commi- remain committed to one another showed up even among those who followed Jesus most closely. Folks, please, please hear this. Those of you who are online, please listen to this. It happened to the disciples don't think that it's not going to happen to you and that you're not going to struggle through those moments. And those are the ones that need to be worked through. And we've seen pictures and different renditions of the Lord's Supper. And probably the most popular one is the one by Leonardo da Vinci, uh, which is found over, over in Italy. And, and, and this is the picture that we have, a long, long, long table, and all 12 of the disciples are there, including Judas Iscariot. And that is a classic painting, and it's one that we refer to quite often as a powerful work of art. But it's not really accurate in depend- depicting what the seating arrangement was. I want you to see the more accurate picture. Jesus and the disciples used this seating during the Passover, just before the Lord was crucified the next morning. And chances are, over in this situation, Jesus was over here on, to, my, to my left, okay? And then he was... And, and Peter was over here on the right, and all the other disciples were there. John was leaning against Jesus. Right behind Jesus was Judas Iscariot. This horseshoe configuration of a table allowed for all the guys to see each other clearly. Because people in Jewish custom reclined at the table instead of sitting. And their feet would hang off of the couches or mats that they were laying on, but, but in this instance, nobody had been there to wash their feet. And you need to understand that back in those days, <clears throat> you needed to do that. <laughs> It was very, very important because there weren't paved roads. I mean, Pam and I go out for walks an awful lot, and I have to go ahead and take my shoes off because I'll soil the carpet if I, do the, if I don't. But you can imagine them walking through unpaved roads, dusty roads, roads that, that had all sorts of different things on them. They'd been messed in ruts with carts. There was mud. There was dust. There were smelly animal residues that would get encrusted both on the sandals that they wore and their feet. But because the disciples were so caught up in arguing about who was the greatest, 
No one washed anyone's feet. You see, after all, that was the responsibility of either an appointed person or a slave. And in this case, many scholars speculate that because Peter was over here on the far end, if you want to go back to that picture, uh, over here on the far end, he was the one who was assigned that responsibility, but he was caught up in all the controversy, and he, being the proud man that he was, wasn't going to budge an inch. And they were probably arguing amongst themselves, even out loud, in front of Jesus, who was the host and the honored person at that feast. And his feet should have been washed first. But no one did that for him. And so with that in mind, as a background, I want us to read John chapter 13 and, and, and get a picture of the amazing event that took place this evening. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not only just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet, and their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, this table that the disciples were around with Jesus was a special feast and celebration for the Jewish people. It recalled how many, many years before, 
The angel of death had passed over the Israelites' households as they were in Egypt in captivity and spared them from the death of the firstborn that ended up hitting the entire nation and the entire empire of Egypt. They were spared because the blood of the lamb was on the doorposts. And this picture not only caused them to recall the great thing that God had done in the past, but it also helped them to look forward to the day when God's lamb, the one who who who, who Isaiah prophesied about, would come and rescue them. And it talked about Jesus. So here the disciples were as they watched in astonishment as the head and the host of this, of this party, of this celebration, was now bending over and washing their feet. They were speechless. And finally, Jesus came around to Peter, to the place of, of least honor. to the one that was probably supposed to wash feet in the first place. And I can almost picture that there was probably some guilt (laughs) for Peter. You know, when you get caught in the act, or or you get caught for not doing something or something like that, you just kind of get, and, and you mutter stuff, stuff that doesn't make sense. Sometimes pride rears its ugly head. And Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus says that if Peter doesn't let him wash his feet, he has no part of him. Folks, we need to understand what pride does. It separates us from others. Some of us have alienated relationships because we're too proud to say that we have done wrong too. Or we're too proud to say, will you please forgive me? Or we're too proud to have a conversation and say, oh, let's talk this through because I value the relationship a whole lot more than I value whether or not I'm right. Because unless we turn away from pride, we will find ourselves being separated from other people and ultimately we will find ourselves separated from God because pride is at the root of just about every sin imaginable. One of the the things that the table helps us to do is to decide to choose the person in front or near us over our own selfishness. And so as a result of that, barriers can come down. And we see people as they are and they see us as we truly are. But then in this passage, Jesus does three things that I want to cover very quickly that expressed his commitment to the disciples. The first thing that he did was he loved. Look at verse 2. 
He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. With all this argument taking place and division taking place as to who was the greatest, and also combined with the reality that Jesus knew full well what awaited him. He knew the crucifixion was just right around the corner. He knew that the beatings would be taking place before long. Jesus still loved. One of the descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, is that love keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. And at the table, Jesus showed his commitment to his disciples that they were more important than the conflict that was taking place. They were more important than having to go ahead and, and correct them and say, come on, guys, grow up. It, it was more, he, they were more important to him than that. They were more important than the actual suffering that awaited him in just a few hours. Do we have people that are that important to us? Do we have people that are even more important than whatever conflict or difficulty that we're facing? Because the other thing that Jesus did was that he served. He did one of the least jobs, one of the lowest jobs on the totem pole of service in his day. One of the least liked and you need to understand that this was the one who had spoken the world into being, the one who had given life to us, the one who deserved to be bowed to, the one who deserved to be served hand and feet. Instead, he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he put the needs of others before his own. He wasn't concerned about his own position or even how right he was, because after all, Jesus is right. Can I get an amen on that? No matter what. But at the table, he served. And at the table, barriers came down, conflict evaporated, and commitment shone brightly. And we're told the very same thing in terms of what we're called to do. In Philippians chapter 2, it says in your relationships with one another, have this same mind as was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not regard equality as something to be, with God as something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Whenever tension and conflict raises its head, commitment to another person breaks through in our service. And putting aside prideful arguments, 
and showing love through simple acts of service because that's exactly what Jesus did. One of those acts of service, by the way, is listening. Listening. Not just listening so that we can come up with our own arguments of what is good and what are counter arguments and what it is that we think and what we think is right and what we don't like and so on and so forth. No. Listening to understand. Listening to, to try to comprehend where the other person is coming from. Listening to grasp another person's struggle and hurt. The final thing that Jesus did was that he encouraged. He encouraged. Now that you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly, now you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. You get that? Jesus didn't lecture them about their selfishness and pride. He didn't rub their noses in the muck that he had just washed off their feet. He didn't keep score. But he did call the disciples to commitment to one another. Wash one another's feet. Serve one another. And it seems that Jesus is asking here, hey guys, I'm committed to you. Will you be committed to one another no matter what? Will you be committed to one another, church, no matter what may happen, through thick and thin? Will you look beyond any conflict to the person and allow your commitment to them to be your focus because they are the ones that Jesus died for and you are the one that Jesus died for and he wants us all to serve him together. Folks, I can't urge you enough to join a small group. Don't try to live your Christianity in isolation. I know that there are several people online today who cannot be here for health reasons or what have you. One of them is Roger and Jane. They can't be here because he still can't be in large crowds. And yet he gets to participate in worship that way. But there are also some of you who are online who are using online as an excuse to not be around other people. To isolate yourself. And Christianity has never lived in isolation. It is lived in community, in companionship, in serving together. And every single one of us in this room need a group of people, a small group that we can connect with, 
so that we can find two or more people who will be our 2 a.m. friends, people that we can go ahead and call and touch base with and reach out to, no matter what our struggle, no matter what time of the day it may be, and will sit with us at the table when conflict arises and say, you matter to me far more than any conflict or any difference that we may have. And after Jesus had had this teaching time, it was right after that that he instituted the Lord's Supper. We often refer to it as communion. It's coming around to the coming around the Lord's table, we say. And at his table, we are reminded that he removed conflict from us. We are reminded that he removed the conflict of sin and its penalty by dying for us on the cross and rising bodily from the grave. We're awestruck by his commitment to us. That he would go through a horrible whipping that many never even survived and then suffer a humiliating and agonizing death on a cross, which was the most cruel form of execution ever devised by man. Folks, we matter to him so much. You matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. We all matter to him so much. And at the table, we're reminded of his commitment to us. And in partaking, we have the opportunity to renew our fellowship and our commitment to him. But we're also able to renew our commitment to one another. Father, I would ask that you would bless this time as we, as we celebrate. We celebrate your goodness. We just sang about your goodness, your love, how you are such a good, good father to us. And you gave everything that you had for us. And today, we remember that Jesus paid it all. And to him, we owe everything. And in this time of communion, in this time of gathering, I pray that you will bring down walls of separation. I pray that if there is anyone here who harbors any resentment or difficulty or grudge against another in this room, that by the power of your spirit, you would allow for that difficulty to be removed, for there to be reconciliation and restoration of relationship. Is this as you have taught, is a table of unity. It's a table of we may have differences, but we are united by the blood of Jesus.
who gave his all for us. Lord, be present here. We need you. We want you. We welcome you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we celebrate communion together, we can take the bread and remember the words of Jesus as he took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you celebrate the love of God through Jesus, who is the only one who saves us.